Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we'll see God's heart and intentions for mankind through the Bible, which is full of His promises. Promises for blessing as we live in obedience, and promises for comfort and hope as we go through difficult times. Part one of Cheryl's message titled, All the Promises of God. The Bible is a book of promises. The Bible tells us the intentions, the plans of God for mankind. You see, in the very beginning in the garden, God put Adam and Eve in this place of absolute beauty, of harmony with nature. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. God intends good. His intentions are good. In the Bible, all the good things that God wants to do for mankind are highlighted and revealed. In Psalm 81 verses 13 through 16, God says this, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would still endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. God wants to bless his people. He intends to give us the highest quality of life. But sin, rebellion, and noncompliance keeps us from all this goodness, keeps the world from all the goodness of God. In Jeremiah 5.25, it says, your iniquities have turned these things away. What things? Victory and joy and peace and love. And your sins have withheld good things from you. God's intentions for mankind are good. It's for peace and love and joy, fellowship, restoration, harmony, healing, provision, help, victory, and so much more. In this book, you will find a promise that corresponds to any trial, any deficit, any problem that you could possibly face on earth. There is a corresponding promise, a word of comfort, a word of hope. These promises are good promises. These promises are great promises, the best promises ever, because they're not temporal. 
They're eternal. This promise, when you open it up, God's promise, it's good. It's like, oh my goodness, this is what I would have gotten for myself if I had had the choice. I've told you this before, but Brian and I have this thing. He says, what did I get you for Christmas? And I said, well, you were especially generous this year. And then I show him what he got me for Christmas. He got me all the things I wanted. And he, I said, what did I get you? And he says, oh, you should see, Cheryl, you shouldn't go into debt like that. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't. But that's how we do it. It just works out better for us. We used to get each other presents that we did not like and we returned. So now these are keepers. But God's promises are great promises. And they're manifold promises. I mean, they lead to even more promises and more promises. Yeah. How can we who are not Israelites. Have you ever had somebody where you're like, I got this promise in Isaiah, and they're like, that was for the Jews. (laughs) That was promised to the people who were under Hezekiah. Who do you think you are? You're living in, you know, this day and age. No, no, that promise. How do I, as a non-Israelite, as a not perfect, have you ever noticed how conditional the promises are? It's just reading, you know, God's promise to Solomon. If you will walk in all my ways, if you will keep my statutes, if you, if, they're all conditional. And we see that even Solomon didn't keep the promises of God, who was so wise, who was so endowed, so blessed, had two encounters with God where God spoke to him and said, ask me whatever you want. God came to him again and said, I heard your prayer. Solomon, who built the temple in Jerusalem for God, if Solomon, with all of that wisdom, with all the gifts, with those encounters from God, could not retain the right to the promises of God, how can we expect non-Israelites, totally imperfect, I am not just talking about myself, how can we become beneficiaries of the promises and blessings of God when we cannot earn them? When they are so far above us, it is through Jesus. It is through Jesus. You see, all the promises of God hinge on Jesus. Jesus is at the center of all of God's promises. He's the qualifier. He's the way into all the promises. He fulfilled all the conditions necessary to receive the promises of God. In other words, Jesus earned every single promise of God from coming and humbling himself through the incarnation, being willing to become a man, through living the life of a human being, not in extravagance, but through poverty, by only doing those things that please the Father, by speaking words of truth in love, by living absolutely righteously, by having only righteous thoughts, righteous words, and righteous deeds, and then by dying on a cross as absolutely 100% Innocent, as Pilate declared over three times, he is 
innocent. He is innocent. He is innocent. He merited every single promise of God. He earned them. He walked in them. He fought for them. And he won them. And all the promises of God belong to Jesus. They all belong to Jesus. Not only is he the fulfillment of all of God's word, he is all the promises of God are in Christ. They're all in the Messiah. They're all contained. And the only way to the promises of God are through Jesus. The only way. You want a promise in Isaiah? Go through Jesus. You want a promise in Genesis? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Go to Jesus. And he will give you the promises of God. At Christmas time, I really wanted some ribbon from a certain place in Santa Ana, which you must have a card for. But once you get in, it is ribbon heaven. There is, and some of you know what I'm talking about, but I don't want to give any false advertisements here. I already put down McDonald's, I'm feeling guilt, so. Even in and out would have been a little bit better. But I wanted, I wanted to go there. But there's a problem. I do not belong. I do not have a cart. I had one friend who volunteered to take me, but then she backed out. I won't say why. Other priorities, like a Christmas coffee, but fine. And so she said, but I found somebody to go with you. Jill will take you. And so Jill took me to Ribbon Heaven. Jill had a card. And she walked me in, and there were some of the most gorgeous ribbons. We oohed, we awed. And I chose ones. They're already at discount price, but no, I had to choose the ones that were an extra 40% off. I found them. I put them in the cart. I wanted possession of them so desperately. I knew they would enhance all my gifts to others. And I wanted those ribbons, beautiful ribbons. Some I even haven't had the chance to use yet. They're so beautiful. But as we're walking through, Jill says, oh no, I lost the card. So we have to retrace our steps all through Ribbon Heaven and find the card. I'm going through and I see this piece of paper and it's all kind of like very wrinkled, a little torn. And there it is on the ground and you just pick it up. But you know what? It's not Jill's name on the card. It's somebody else's name who I don't know, but I thought, well, you know, it is a card. (laughs) Jill's doing other aisles. We're going to find her card. And so she's like, Cheryl, I looked. I could not find the card. I said, well, Jill, I found this one. But I don't even know who this person is. She goes, that's my best friend. That's her card. That's That's my card. I'm like, we're not even here on our own authority or in your name? We're we're here by the righteous act of another? You see, it was Jill's friend who paid the price. It was Jill's friend 
who earned that card. It was Jill's friend who gave us an entrance and a right to the blessings of those ribbons and the ability to purchase and then possess those ribbons. Do you get what I'm saying? We're not here by our merit. We don't get these promises because we have a a card in our name. We are here because Jesus has merited. He's paid the dues. He's given us entrance and the right to claim, put the promises in our cart and take them home and make them ours. All the blessings of God by way of Jesus Christ. It is by his name, his payment, his righteousness that we have access, privilege, claim, and possession of all the promises of God. All these have become available to me. Whatever color, whatever width, whatever length that I need is mine because of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God are in him and they are yes and in him so be it or guaranteed to the glory of God. Through Jesus, we not only see God's good intentions for mankind, but we receive and realize and possess possess even now what is ours eternally. You see, without Jesus, we cannot have any of the promises of God. All the premises of God hinge on Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, according to Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, we are without a Messiah. We are aliens separated from all of God's covenants, all his agreements, all his promises, no hope and without God. There's no way to even have God in our lives without Jesus. But verse 13, here's hope. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off, have been made near, have been brought in by the blood of Christ. Now, all the promises that Abraham received from God all hinged on a promised son. Without that promised son, none of the blessings None of the promises that God had given Abraham could ever come to pass. In Genesis 12, you remember, God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And based on those promises, Abraham left Haran, went to Canaan to a land that God showed him. And while in the land of Canaan, God spoke to him again, lift up your eyes now. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants. Now, Abraham doesn't have any children. Forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Genesis 13. 
God repeats these promises to Abraham again after he's been in the land for a while. In chapter 15, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. You're exceedingly great reward. But now in chapter 15, Abraham says, um, Lord, I see a, a slight contradiction. <laughs> There's a little problem here. I know you've made all these promises to me, but I don't have an heir. I don't have a son. All I've got is a servant who was born in my house. He's not a blood relative. He's not really my descendant. I'm childless. And you, I, how is this going to happen, Lord? And at that point, God promises Abraham an heir that would come from his loins. And all the promise of God, everything that God said he would do, could only happen if this promised son was born lived and procreated that was necessary without the son of promise none of the promises to Abraham could be realized none God emphasized this promise this one speaking of Ishmael shall not be your heir in chapter 17 but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir then God called Abraham outside to stare up at the stars in the desert sky and promised him as many descendants as stars. It's not Abraham's servant. It's not Ishmael. It's still this child that Abraham is waiting for that has not come. God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly, and you shall be the father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants. No promised child. Also, I give you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God, Genesis 17, one through eight. God tells Abraham that the son of promise, the one on whom all the promises will be brought through, the hinge, the way in, will be birthed by Baron Sarah, who is now approaching 90. Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. I love this. Abraham thinks he might have heard wrong. He laughs. He falls on his face. That's how ridiculous it is. <laughs> Boom. The thought of Sarah giving birth at 90 is absolutely preposterous. He offers God a solution. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God once more clarifies that all the promises that he has given to Abraham will hinge on the special child, the son he has been waiting for, the one that will be conceived and miraculously born through barren old Sarah. I hate to call her that, but it's true. 
No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Genesis 17, 19. Do you realize that? According to God's word, it has to be this son who isn't even living on planet Earth yet. But there's no possibility that these promises can be fulfilled or come to pass without this miraculous child. But even as God said, Sarah conceives at around 90. Sarah holds that child in her womb for nine months. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're like, oh, conception. No, 90 years old and the baby stays and is birth, birth at 90. It was hard enough at 21, according to God's appointed time. And this brings us to Genesis 22. Here is the young man upon whom every promise hinges. He is not married. He does not have a wife. He has not produced a child. And all the promises of God will not be realized, will not come to pass unless Isaac marries and has children. There's no offspring yet. And God says to Abraham, take now your son, your only son. Why was he the only son? He was the only son by whom the promises could be realized the only son whom you love. First mention of love in the Bible between a father toward the son. And go to the land of Moriah, which is the hills of Jerusalem, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. God is asking for the son of promise, the one on whom all the promises hinge, and without whom the promises to Abraham cannot be fulfilled. He is saying to Abraham, offer your son as a sacrifice. He's not telling Abraham to kill his son. He's not preparing Abraham for Isaac's death. He's not saying, I'm going to take him, he's going to die. No, God is saying something very specific. Offer him as a sacrifice. Offer him as a burnt offering. Now, a burnt offering is unlike any of the other offerings. A burnt offering is an offering that is completely consumed. The other offerings, whether they be a grain offering, a peace offering, a a peace offering is the fellowship offering, but the uh, other offerings, even the sin offering that we find in Leviticus and Exodus, all of these the priest and the person giving the offering would have a portion in. But the burnt offering, the the offerer, the priest had no portion in. This was an offering that was to be entirely consumed. And the idea of this offering was even the very nature of the offering was to become transcendent. So what was material became smoke that could ascend to heaven. Why it was material 
it was earthbound. But once it became smoke, you know, because that which is material, maybe you remember in science, actually still has substance. But the substance was transformed to something that could ascend to heaven, to God. It was absolute consecration. The substance of the animal would be totally changed from material to smoke. And no part of that offering could the one who offers it share in or have part of. The Bible is God's word to us. In it, He reveals His love, His heart, and His intentions. From the beginning, as God put Adam and Eve in the garden, saying, be fruitful and multiply, He intended good. Even as sin and death entered the world to destroy and separate us from God, He sent Jesus, the promised Messiah, to restore and reconcile us back to Him. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's Word, and every single promise in the Bible is true because of Him. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at the promises of God as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.